This is the Sanctuary LA podcast. We are a real church for real people in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. Do me a favor, stand as we read the word this morning. If you can, if you can stand, if you can't stand, um, I'm not going to make you stand up. But if you can stand, and that should be most of us in here, do me a favor, turn to Luke chapter 24. Um, We are in this series, this new series, uh, The Holy Spirit. And then if you can do me a favor um, and uh, just kind of stand throughout this. And we'll go through a few verses here, but it won't be too long here. So Luke chapter 24, we'll get into and we're talking the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at verse 38 through 49. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. So you're covered. We got you. Don't even worry. Luke chapter 24. Verse 38 through 49. Thank you for those lights because I'm dark and I got them all black and the wall behind me is all black. And I was waiting for somebody to kick them lights on. If you got an Android, do not take pictures today because you know your quality already ain't good. iPhones only. iPhone, no, I'm just kidding. All right, Luke chapter 24, verse 38. This is going to be fun today. Um, Luke chapter 24, verse 38. We look at uh, verse 38 through 49. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Verse 40 said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Jesus is so funny. Jesus is like, okay, y'all don't want to believe me based on me being here. So let me show you something. So he asked them for if they have something to eat. And these people give him broiled fish and he took it and ate it. And was probably like, see, I'm real. You didn't see a drop. You didn't see nothing happen. I'm real. He says, I am here. So he ate the fish. Um, And he continues on there. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Can you imagine Jesus being in the room and opening your mind so you can understand the scripture? We still need that today. Like, Lord, help me understand what I'm reading because Lord knows I'll be falling asleep in my devotion time. Uh, So help me understand this. So he opens the mind to help them understand the scriptures. Verse 46, he told them that it was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I'll read verse 49 again. It says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay. Everybody say stay. Stay Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Let's pray for a moment here. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this atmosphere. I thank you for your word. I pray that you allow me to speak this. Let it penetrate the hearts of your people. Let me deliver it the way you gave it to me, Lord. And I pray that people walk out of here changed, renewed, regenerated, God. I pray that they would be reinvigorated with your spirit this morning, God. I pray that they would not just be hearers of your words, but doers of the words. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you sit down, look at your neighbor and say, uh, he's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. And now you can sit down. Now you can sit down. 
So man, the Holy Spirit, wow. Wow. Let me tell you, as a, as a pastor, as a communicator of the Word of God, this is probably the hardest topic to preach on in the whole Bible. And for some reason, Pastor Sean says, can you open it up? And as the young preacher that I am who's just looking for a shot, I said, absolutely. Give it to me. I'll take it. Um, but I believe there's something here that God wants to speak, and um, I think it's going to be an incredible day. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this series, and I think there's going to be some great things that we discover um, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to discover some things about ourselves as they relate to the Holy Spirit. We're going to be challenged in our thinking when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and your theology will be challenged as well. I guarantee it. Uh, and so hopefully I can deliver this word the way God gave it to me this morning. Um, so how was your Easter? Good? Great? We had great on the front row. Awesome. Pretty good. She was here, so. Okay, show of hands, if you were in church on Easter, it doesn't matter if you were here at somebody else's church. If you're in, East, if you're in church on Easter, raise your hand. If you were not in church on Easter, don't worry, raise your hand. It's not a trick question or anything. Oh, okay. All right, cool. I just wanted to see who we needed to pray for this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But thinking about Easter, so we come off of Easter, uh, and can you imagine, everybody said, oh, my Easter was great, and it was awesome, and it was wonderful. Can you imagine Easter for the disciples? Can you imagine that season, those days for the disciples? I mean, think about it. They, so here we are Sunday after Easter, and, and we're so excited. And yes, Jesus has risen. This is great. And this is all in hindsight because we know what goes on. We know what happens. We know he comes back, we win, and all that stuff. But can you imagine it for the disciples? Because here they are. You could probably imagine their range of emotions. They go from this one moment having this guy with them almost every day of their life for three years, teaching them the word of God. God, teaching them all this stuff, doing all these miracles. I mean, Jesus was, he was it. He was out here spitting on the ground, making steaks, spitting in people's eyes and making them heal, all of that. And then all of a sudden, he's gone. And then all of a sudden, he comes back. And then 40 days later, he's gone again. Can you imagine those emotions for the disciples? They were probably like, what is going on? And maybe they had some understanding because Jesus was trying to teach them, look, this is what's going to happen. First this, then this, then that. I will be back. This is going to happen. But the only promise they had after Jesus ascended into heaven, the only promise they had was of this Holy Spirit. That was it. That's all he said was stay here and wait. If you look in the text, stay here and wait. Now, they knew something about the Holy Spirit because he said the helper is coming, the advocate. All throughout his ministry, Jesus is trying to explain to them what's going to happen. And here they are, and all they're being told is stay and wait. If that were us, we'd be out of there because we don't like to wait for nothing. Nothing at all. I'm telling you, look, I ordered something online, and, uh, and I think it was a scam, um, but I ordered something, and as soon as I hit pay, they were like, thank you for your order. Basically, thank you for your money. It's going to take 45 days for this item to get to you. I was like, nah, cancel that. I'm, I'm done. And it took a little while before I actually canceled it. But, um, and then again, I realized, no, nah, this is probably a scam. Lord, let me help me cancel this now. I had to call Chase and all of that. But we don't like waiting for anything. Even when it says seven to ten business days, you're like, shoot. You hoping, even though the paper says seven to 10, you're like, oh, it'll be here in three. I'm good. <laughs> and then when it don't show up in three, you get an attitude. It says seven to 10. But we don't like waiting. And here the disciples are 
and they're being told to wait. Sit here and wait for the Holy Spirit. And this is a moment where you can kind of imagine their emotions, and some of them were probably in there like, well, what are we waiting for? What's about to happen? And even though he's explained it, the helper, the advocate is coming. Don't worry, he's coming, he's coming. They were still like, well, we don't know when. We have no clue when. All we know is what Jesus tells them. It's better for you that I go, because then if I go, then I'll send someone else after me. That's all they had to go off of. So they had to stay and they had to wait. Everybody say wait. wait. They had to wait. And so here they are on the day of Pentecost is now what we know it and what we call it after the fact. But here they are in this room and they are simply waiting for something to happen. Can I tell you that in that moment as Jesus is telling them and he's ascending into heaven, he's telling them, wait, this is happening. This is going to come. There were about 500 people who were present in that moment. About 500 people who were present in the moment as Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but wait here in Jerusalem. Just wait. About 500 people. Then you forward, fast forward to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts counts that there's 120 people who actually waited. So there's 380 people who felt that they had something better to do. They're probably like, Jesus, I got to wash my clothes. I don't have time for this. You see my sandals. I need to go get something. I need to make some clay jars. We need some water. I'm going over here. Y'all let me know when he comes and then I'll be back. There was 380 people who did not see fit to wait for the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was worth the wait. They felt that what they had to do was much more important. So here they are doing whatever else they're doing, and yet the people in the upper room are receiving the Holy Spirit. I don't under, I kind of, I, there's some things about the Bible and the people in the Bible that I'm like, Lord, what's wrong with her? Or what's wrong with him? It's 380 of y'all, and y'all couldn't wait? What else did you have to do? Because I think about this. When Jesus says something, when he says the Holy Spirit is coming, in that moment, and who knows what you would have been like in the moment, but in hindsight, looking back on it, I would have been like, okay, I'm there. I'll be the first in line. Because you have to consider the fact that while Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is coming, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were linked from the time that Jesus made his appearance on earth. From the moment that Jesus jumped on the scene, here he was with the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you this because uh, Mary, who's Jesus' mother, if you didn't know that, and Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mother, who they were, they were like cousins, but everybody back in the day was cousins. Uh, but they were cousins, and Mary and Elizabeth visited each other. They visited each other, and it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is at the moment that Jesus is in the womb of Mary, and Mary, all she's doing is visiting Elizabeth, and now Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Bible says that John the Baptist was in the womb, and he was jumping with joy, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit linked from the beginning. Then you continue on, and it looks like uh, it, it talks about how Jesus was baptized. And at the moment that Jesus was baptized, you think when you get baptized, it's all great. Grandma is here. Uncle who never come to church is here. Your aunt who smell like food is here. All of that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But when Jesus got baptized, you know who showed up? God cracks the sky open, and a dove representing the Holy Spirit shows up while Jesus is being baptized. From the beginning, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were linked. And then right after that, right after he gets baptized, what happens? The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. 
So this whole time, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are being linked. And yet when Jesus says, wait, the Spirit is coming, nobody but 120 people felt like it was worth the wait. And here they are in the upper room. And as Jesus mentions, the Holy Spirit comes. I have a question for you, seriously, as Christians. If Jesus and the Holy Spirit were linked throughout his ministry, if the people of Israel, if, uh, if the Bible itself talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit, um, and they felt like it was, and, and the 120 felt like it was worth the wait, and they felt like the Holy Spirit was of importance, why is it that we forget about the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day life? See, this is where theology, this is where we're going to mess with theology, because, see, you pray, and, and it's all great. You pray, and you mention God, God, Father, God. Some of y'all say Father God 400 times in one sentence in your prayer. Don't act like you don't, because we'll put you up here to pray, and you'll be Father God in all day. But you pray, and it's all about God, 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 do this for me, God, do that. And Jesus, I need your help. But when was the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you said, Holy Spirit, I need you to do this? And this is not just for you. This is me too. This is like, when was the last time you sat here and said, Holy Spirit, I really want your presence to fill me as I go into work. Holy Spirit, I really, when was the last time you really spoke to the Holy Spirit? We don't because we forget about him. In the same way that those people decided that it weren't, wasn't worth the wait, we don't find it worth talking to the Holy Spirit. And yeah, you can speak to God and you can speak to Jesus, but there's this moment where the Holy Spirit is like, I'm here too. Like, don't forget about me. And we have these moments where we reduce the Holy Spirit to only, being, only allowing us to speak in tongues. That's the only time I need the Holy Spirit, when I want to be filled to speak in tongues. That's it. I only want the Holy Spirit when I'm going out to try to touch and heal people. And that's great. That's wonderful. But the Holy Spirit does not want to be reduced to just simple acts in your life. The Holy Spirit wants the primary role in your life. You know why? Because Jesus tells the disciples, I'm sending him to you. He is coming to help you. He is the advocate. He's not on the bench waiting for you to call his number when you feel like it. He wants to be in the game every single minute. He wants to be Kobe of your life. Don't debate me on Kobe, the greatest of all time. He wants to be, he wants to play every single minute in your life. Can I tell you, just so you know, so we're clear, when Jesus left and he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, what Jesus was really saying is that I'm going to send somebody here that when I go, he's going to do the same thing that I did while I was in my ministry. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's purpose is not just to help you heal people. The Holy Spirit's purpose is not just reduced to when you feel like it, when you feel like you need to call on him. Go, Holy Spirit, change the atmosphere. He don't want to just change the atmosphere. And we do that sometimes in worship. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And he's like, I've been here the whole time. I actually was here before you got here. He's not looking. And see, the thing about it is that we don't understand the Holy Spirit to the effect that we should. And we often forget about him. But his primary role is to be what Jesus was for the disciples in his ministry. His role is to be that same thing for us in our ministry. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. 
we look at these 380 and we look at how they decided that it wasn't worth it and, and we are the same way. We are sometimes those 380 people. It's not, it's, of, it's of little importance for us to speak to the Holy Spirit. And it should be of the utmost importance. Here's what I believe. I think there's three types of Christians when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And don't raise your hand or anything. Don't nod if you fall into one of these categories. But there's three types of Christians when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Number one, we do uh, with the Holy Spirit the same thing Thomas did with Jesus. It's like, I got to see it to believe it. Don't, don't tell me about no Holy Spirit. I need to see him. With my, I need to see him for myself. Let him come in here with hair and all that stuff. I need to see him. Thomas was with Jesus and all the other disciples. And up to the moment where Jesus comes back, he's still doubting. And he's still having this moment where he's like, no, let me touch. Let me put my finger in the middle of his hand. Let me see where the nails were. And then he gets disgusted. He's like, let me put my hand in his side. I need to feel it. It's like, Thomas, what? What? The whole time you were here, you missed it. So sometimes we're Christians who miss the Holy Spirit because we need to see him for ourselves. Right. Eh. And then there's the Christians who are, uh, who are like the Christians that Paul encounters in Acts. Check this out. This blew my mind. Never realized this was in the Bible. Blew my mind. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 2. And this, these are the people who were in the Bible days. Here's what it says. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. And this is what he asked them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Really? That was their response. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. The second type of Christians that we have when it comes to the Holy Spirit is we are so overly spiritual that we don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or the TV show we was watching the other day. We'd be in our rooms, hear a little sound, hear a little creak in the roof. Holy Spirit, is that you? Is that you? Coffee starts trembling on the table. He's here. Almost like you have to tap into it. Like, everybody be quiet. Hum, all at the same time. Let's tap into this. Newsflash, the Holy Spirit is not a vibe. He's not a vibe that you tap into. I just don't feel the vibe. I don't feel the energy right now. I, don't, I just don't feel. I, you know what? A little side note. I hate when I'm having a conversation about God and somebody brings up energy. I just, you know, his energy, the energy in the room and, and just this energy. It's like if you are carriers of the Holy Spirit, then if the energy is impacted, it's because of you. Don't, don't sit here and, and the, just the energy and the vibe. I'm just not feeling. I just don't feel him here. He's not reduced to a vibe. And then here's a, here's a third category that I think we fall into. And I think if you haven't felt yourself in this category or any one of the other ones, you'll, you'll, you'll fall into this one. And this comes from A.W. Tozer. He says, the idea of the spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. When he thinks of the matter at all, he is very likely to try to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp or of, or of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they are dying. Frankly, he does not believe in any such thing, but he wants to believe something. Everybody wants to believe something about the Holy Spirit, right? 
And not filling up to the task of examining the whole truth in the light of Scripture, he compromises by holding belief in the Spirit as far out from the center of his life as possible, letting it make no difference in anything that touches him practically. This describes a surprisingly large number of earnest persons who are sincerely trying to be Christians, sincerely trying to be Christians, and we're holding the Holy Spirit at a distance. As if only, as if the Holy Spirit only shows up when there's this miraculous moment rather than every single day of our life. So here's the thing that I think, uh, that I think is important for us to note is that I think those 380 people just didn't understand the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a proper understanding of, of, of what they were dealing with in the moment. And so anytime we don't have a proper understanding of something, we kind of just push it to the side. Like, ah, I don't get that. Ah, not for me. Math, too hard. Ah, it's because we don't have a proper understanding of it. So this morning to kick off this series, I really want to just try to give us a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit and why in that moment he was so worth the wait and why even today so worth the wait back then as in their present tense, but so worth the wait for us in future tense in the way that we live our life and the importance of living our life with the Holy Spirit, not held out from a distance, but right here up close to us. So I want to give us five things to help us understand the Holy Spirit. And here's the first one. He possesses personality like you. See, I think we miss the Holy Spirit a lot of times because we're looking, from, we're looking for him in random places. I love it when, I, when Elijah is, is getting revelation from God. And, uh, and here's what God tells him in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 through 13. He says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So here Elijah is looking for the Holy Spirit, looking for God, looking for revelation in all these places, in things fire, an earthquake, looking for some dramatic entrance, and yet he was in the small, still voice. And so we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit, in the very simplest form, is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. If you don't grab anything out of that, you have to understand that it's not about the what when it comes to the Holy Spirit, but it's always about the who is the Holy Spirit. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Our is a vision of the Trinity in that moment. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that moment. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And when it talks about image, it's not talking about eyes and a nose and hair and all that stuff. What he's talking about is the characteristics, what makes up a person. The Holy Spirit created you with himself in mind. I want to give them everything that I have, personality, character, thought process, the, the ability to think about things, the ability to hear things. He gave you everything that he had in that moment. I want to give you, I want them to be made in my image. 
Our image refers to qualities as reason, personality, and intellect, the capacity to relate, to hear, to see, and to speak. These are all characteristics of God. So when he's saying, let us make man in our image, you can't stand here and say, well, God, God looks like me. No, the proper way of putting that is, I look like God. That's the proper way, because he gave you what he had in the moment. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit does a number of things only a person can do. Watch it. He teaches in John chapter 14, verse 26. He guides in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. He commands in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. He intercedes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He calls in Revelation 22, 17, and he comforts in John 16, 7. Earthquake can't comfort. Fire can't hear you. Uh, fire can't intercede for you. Water can't. You can, none of that can do what God can do for you. He does what a person can do. And check this quote out because this kind of flipped my mind. And I'll read it a couple of times so you catch it. It says, the Holy Spirit is not a person because he does those things attributable to a personality, but rather does the actions of the personality because he is a person. Not just because he does things attributable to a person, but because he is a person. That's the reason why he hears you. That's the reason why he intercedes for you. That is the reason why he goes in before you. That is the reason why he covers you from behind. An earthquake ain't worried about your feelings. An earthquake ain't praying for you. Fire ain't worried about your well-being, but the Holy Spirit is because he's a person. He's got feelings. He's got emotions. He cares for you. He can feel everything that you felt in your life. Don't sit here and say, well, God, you don't understand because he knows more than you do. He understands more than you understood the trial that you were going through. Holy Spirit is a person. He's not merely an influence like Jehovah Witnesses believe. They think he's just an influence. That's, that's all he is. He's just an influencer. But he, n- nothing else, just an influence. He's not a force beyond this realm or some imaginary cloud. He's not just some energy or vibe that you can tap into. What he is is a helper. He's a comforter. That's what he is. And so that's the first thing we've got to understand about the Holy Spirit is that that is who he is. He is counselor. You can take your problems directly to him. Um, And sometimes we get to this point where it's like, well, I can't see him, so I just have a hard time believing uh, just a show of hands, has anybody, uh, you've had a, 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 a Microsoft product, you've used any type of Microsoft product? Don't be ashamed, I'm going to say Apple next, no, don't, no judgment zone, anybody use uh, Apple products, Mac, anything, iPhone, all that? Um, has anybody in this room met Steve Jobs or Bill Gates? Does that make them less of a person because you haven't met them in person? doesn't make them less of a person. It doesn't, just because you haven't seen them in person, just because you haven't touched them, just because you haven't felt them, just because you probably can't even get close to them, does not mean that they are less of a person. Doesn't mean that you can't feel their influence in your life. Doesn't mean that you can't feel their, you can't, you can't, you can't receive anything that they've done simply because you haven't seen them or you haven't met them. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. Just because you can't see him does not mean he's not impacting your life. Does not mean that he won't impact your life if you let him. So he's a person. That's the first thing that we've got to understand. I love this um, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll move on to the next point after this. But it says, uh, talks about Jesus, talks about Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
the invisible God. To me, that's all I need to know when it comes to the Holy Spirit as far as not being able to see him. I don't need anything else. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then all I need to know is that there is a God there, there is a Holy Spirit, and I'm sold. You got me. So it doesn't matter if you see him or not. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's there. The next point is this. The Holy Spirit, he merits worship from you. In other words, he's worthy of your worship. If I can simplify it even further, he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So he's worthy of your worship. Every, every time you sit here and you pray to God, every time you sit here and you pray to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is deserving of that same prayer. Every time you lift your hands and you worship and you lift up your voice, the Holy Spirit is worthy of that worship. Every single time. Here's the difference. Paul is not worthy of my worship. Peter is not worthy of my worship. John is not worthy of my worship. Yeah, they're great people. They're awesome, and they can give me some examples to live by, but the Holy Spirit is worthy of my worship. He's a person that is worthy. He is unlike any of these other characters. He is unlike any of these other people that we, that we read about in the Bible. He is God, and he's worthy of my worship. Check this out, because sometimes we hear things and we don't believe it until we have scripture. So I'm going to give you some scripture. Um, regarding Joseph and the news of Mary's uh, pregnancy, here's, here's what, uh, here's, here's what uh, Joseph does. In, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, he says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But watch this, because sometimes we get confused because we love John 3.16. We love that one, right? Because it says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Holy Spirit talking about Jesus in Mary's womb, but then in John. It's because the Holy Spirit is God. There's no need to, you know what we do? We put so much on it. Like we make it so complicated. Just cut and dry. The Holy Spirit is God. Everything that God does in the Word of God, you've got to believe that the Holy Spirit is right there. In the beginning, in our image, it's the Trinity in that moment. Every, all of that, it's the Holy Spirit as well. He's equal with God, the Father, equal with the Son. He's a capital S in the Word of God. Also because he's a person and a person's name deserves to be capitalized. And so the Holy Spirit, and that's it, grammar, sorry. I know y'all come to learn but he deserves to be capitalized in the word of God. I used to, um, don't judge me, I used to love Kanye West. Man, until he dropped that CD where he called himself Jesus. I was like, what? Not only because of that, but because it was just bad. The CD sucked. It was just terrible. It's probably the worst ones I've heard from Kanye West. If you're listening to this podcast, Kanye West. Um, <laughs> let me know a shameless plug. But then I also used to love Jay-Z, and I remember going to this camp <laughs> this Christian cap, and they were so intense. They were like, this man is calling himself Hova. He's calling himself Jesus. He's calling himself God. You got to throw all your CDs away. Anybody been to one of those camps where you took all your CDs and you threw them away? I'm not living like this no more. I'm breaking all my CDs. I'm throwing them away. And then finally I got to this point in life where I was like, 
Do you really believe that he thinks he's God? Do you really believe? Or do you think that what he's saying as far as being the God of rap, who cares? You can be the God of rap. You can be the God of whatever you want. You can be the God of culture, whatever you want. But the God of my life is the only God that I serve. As long as you don't start crossing that line, talking about I own you and I created you in my image, then do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit as God is the one that I look to, that I trust in, that I put my hope in not worried about Kanye West calling himself Jesus unless he does it again and then makes another terrible album. But the Holy Spirit was not merely saying that I am a God of something. I'm not just a God of this area, but I am God. I am. That is who I am. What is true about God is true about the Holy Spirit. What was true about Jesus during his ministry is true about the Holy Spirit in our life. And uh, theologians put, Jesus, put the Holy Spirit in, in, in like these seven categories where they, where they kind of, it it's almost serves as proof that the Holy Spirit is God as if he needed any. Um, but here's the seven categories. It says throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as God. Number two, the attributes of God are given to him, such as life, truth, love, holiness, eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, uh, omnipotence. All those things mean omnipresence, meaning he's everywhere. Omniscience, he knows everything. Uh, Omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. Number three, it says he does the works of God, such as creation, regeneration, and resurrection. Number four, he receives honor due only to God. And this is all found in the word of God. Number five, he is associated with God on a footing of equality. Number six, the words of the Holy Spirit are recognized as the words of God. And finally, number seven, the names of the Holy Spirit in Scripture imply his deity. If my voice alone telling you based on what I've read in the Word of God is not enough, you can go to the Word of God for yourself and see all of these things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Here's the third point that we got to understand. The Holy Spirit, He lives in you. When you accepted Christ in your life, that was the moment that the Holy Spirit stepped into your life. He lives on the inside of you. Watch this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. There's so much to Easter. There's so much to, to his crucifixion. There's so much to those three days, man, that I don't think we really understand. There's so much to saying that when Christ gave up his last breath, when he said it is finished, what he was really doing was breathing out and giving you your first breath. And that breath inside of you, it's the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of you. There's so much to that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, it says, In him you also were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed... The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. He is the down payment on the end. You know you can't take a down payment back. Once you drop it, they tell you, now this is non-refundable, just so we know. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. If you have made that profession of your faith, if you have confessed that he is Lord of your life, if you have confessed that, man, I believe that he was killed, I believe that he rose from the grave, I believe all of that, then the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Word of God, everybody was looking forward. See, here's what we do. We, we love to look at the Bible and, man, Abraham was great. John was great. Man, I love David. We love the, Fred, we love the David that Fred Hammond sings about. The dance like David. We love that David. We don't want all the, the fornication David. We don't want all that. But we'll take the dance like David. I'll take that one. But, man, these people are so great. And all the time while you're looking at them in amazement, they were looking forward to you in amazement. Because you got something that they didn't get. And that's the Spirit of God on the inside of you. It's what he tells Ezekiel when he's in the valley of dry bones. He says, look, there's going to come a day when I'm going to put my Spirit on the inside of man. You are that day. You are that day. The Spirit of God is on the inside of you if you've received him. And that's all you've got to do is receive him. I love it because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. And the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom. And the significance from it being torn top to bottom is that God came to you. God, you now have access to him. And furthermore, it was done to show that man could not do that. But only God could do it. The veil was torn, giving you access to the Holy Spirit. I was talking to Chris before service, and he was talking about how when you worship, you have direct access to the Holy Spirit. And man, how we take that access for granted. But you have it. He's on the inside of you. And I got to move quickly here, but here's the next point here. He works through you. He works through you. I love this quote here. It says, the Holy Spirit is not a power that we need to get a hold of and use. But in his infinite power and might, he wants to get a hold of us and use us. When we, we, we often look at the Holy Spirit and, man, what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he working in? And, and some of the things that you don't see as believers is that what the Holy Spirit is doing in you is he's, he's helping you with sanctification. Sanctification is this process of being made holy, of being set apart, of, of living righteously. The Holy Spirit helps you with that. He's not interested in just sitting by you in church. He actually wants to work through you. But not only that, he's not, he's not looking just to give you something. And here we are and we sit and we ask God for all these things. Lord, do this for me and do this and do that and do that. And the Holy Spirit is like, but I just, I want to work through you though. I, I, I know it's great that you're praying for your neighbor and all, but can I use you to help them? Can, can I use you? Can I work through you? Can I do something in you? The Holy Spirit works through us. He wants to work through us. He wants to use us. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us strength. He empowers us, was Pastor Sean's point last week. The Holy Spirit empowers us. What does he empower us to do? He empowers us to get over the hardest battles of our life. The moment when we feel like we're going through something that is the worst thing we've ever gotten through. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to get through it. Here you thought it was all you, and oh man, it must be my, my praying, and it must be all this. No, it's the Holy Spirit who works on the inside of you to do for you what you can't do for yourself. He wants to work through you. And here's the last point. The Holy Spirit, he fights for you. 
This is why it was worth the wait. This is why those 380 people missed out because the Holy Spirit, he fights for you every single battle. The Holy Spirit is the most underrated warrior that we read about in the word of God because he's still fighting every battle that comes against you today. He fights for you. He's not letting you do this by yourself. He's not giving up on you. He's not, he's not living on the inside of you and then sitting on a lazy boy of your heart. He's actually working and he's fighting for you. He's fighting for you. He's that voice that says, don't give up. You got it. He's that voice that says, we'll, we'll make it. Don't worry about it. He's that voice that when you've cried all that you can cry, he's got your back and he's like, okay, now let's go and get it. He fights for you. He's not just a wisp. He's not just this, this, this energy. He's not just this vibe. He is fighting for you. He's a person that looks after your well-being. These are all things about the Holy Spirit that we have to understand. Can I give you this bonus point? I know I said only five, but can I give you this bonus point? The bonus point is that he is worth the wait. He's worth the wait. And what I mean by that is if you think living a life of righteousness is boring, and if you think living the saved life produces nothing for you, has no benefit for your life, you're wrong. He's worth the wait because when I live a life of righteousness, when I live my life in servitude of Christ, then my reward is that I get to sit right there in the presence. And all this worrying about what does he look like? When is he going to show up? All of that goes out the window. And finally, I, even though I can't really approach him because I'm so in my, my condition and who I am, but the simple fact that I get to be in his presence, he's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. Every, 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 every blessing, every harvest that you're going to produce, all of that from living righteousness, righteousness, righteously, he's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary LA podcast. Tune in again next week and stay awesome and be blessed.